Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you're having a great day, and it's going to get better. And thanks for joining us all week long. Andrew McCarthy's going to be with us, unwinding what's happened with Bill Cosby, why he's out, and Britney Spears, why she's still got to listen to her dad at 40 years old for everything from who she dates to how she spends her money. Unbelievable, but we'll unwind that from the legal perspective. Also special for us, brand-new affiliate to welcome, News Talk 94.3 WC. H.M. serving Northeast Georgia. We're privileged to have them as part of the growing family of uh, Brian Kilmeade Show affiliates. Thanks so much for joining us and dig in because we're about to start with the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The things that unite us, America's past of which we're so proud, our hopes and aspirations for the future of the world and this much-loved country, these things far outweigh what little divides us. Yep, Ronald Reagan talking July 4th, 1986. Fourth of July weekend and fewer in 2021. Americans believe America is the best place to live. Who are the biggest non-believers? Those under 45 who will take... Who, who will, what will it take to get all of us to buy into this exceptional nation premise? Number two. Former President Trump's company and its longtime chief financial officer are formally accused of tax-related crimes. Trump organization CFO Alan Weisselberg just turned himself in and is due to be arraigned today in criminal court. It's true, and it's so wrong. Trump organization and the former president uh, and former of the former president are targeted right now, of uh, the CFO, that is, having indictments handed to them. And they're going to try to pressure him, I'm talking about uh, Mr. Weiserberg, to give up the former president. What is the case and why I believe it blows up in the Manhattan DA's face? Weaponizing the law against political opponents should not be done in the United States of America. Number one. According to a new report in Politico, quoting members of Kamala's own team, quote, ideas are ignored or met with harsh dismissals and decisions are dragged out. People are thrown under the bus. There are short fuses and it's an abusive environment. It's not a place where people feel supported. It's a place where people feel treated like bleep. That is uh, Jesse Waters reading the story in Politico. And by the way, the vice president is clueless. Politico blows up the office of Kamala Harris, saying it was backbiting, chaotic, and dour. Like when she was running for president, remember? The New York Times had the story. Kamala Harris and her staff imploded. How much more evidence do we need before the nation concludes she's incompetent, a terrible leader, and can't be the heir apparent to Joe Biden in four years or eight years? But continue, Democrats, because she has shown time and time again she cannot run things. So Politico does this story. And you have to think that Politico's got some pretty good sources. And then I'm looking at the story and I'm thinking, how about 22? 22 people who would not give their names talked about what it's like working for 
the vice president's office. And there's backbiting, there's chaos, even to set up a simple trip. Now, think about this. You remember when the vice president sat down with uh, NBC and she was asked something as simple as you haven't been to the border? She had no answer. That's the advance team. Those are the briefers. This uh, this woman, Tina Flournoy, is the longtime Democratic operative who's her chief of staff. Evidently, a friend can't even get through to her. It takes a month. Uh, the report recalls the final days of the Harris Abortive 2020 presidential campaign, the political story writes, which was from the New York Times. Remember, she launched, she had great speech, big crowd. Even President Trump at the time said, wow, that was pretty impressive. She flamed out a month before the Iowa caucus. You know what? One of the quotes was from a longtime campaign operative in the state. This is my third presidential campaign, talking about Harris. And I've never seen an organization and their, uh, treat their staff so poorly. Simone Sanders, a Harris senior advisor, decried Politico's anonymous sources. He called, she called them cowards. So to me, this is big because this is supposed to be the future. They talked about women. They talked about minorities. They talked about an attorney general who was senator. But she became attorney general, and she wasn't strong, and she became a senator. She was appointed. There was really no one on the Democratic side when they decide that you're the one who's going to run against her. And do you think this story gets written if the White House doesn't like it? There seems to be a rivalry between the Biden staff and the Harris staff. And what bothers me most, it hurts the country. Dan Bongino weighed in. Cut nine. Nobody wants to work for number two, okay? Even in the Secret Service or on the staff. They don't. Uh, There's great guys over there. I love them. They do an amazing job. But I know the staff. I've worked with them on both sides. You see them running around. Everybody wants to work for the boss. Nobody wants to work for the silver medal winner. All right? You don't get the Wheaties box with the silver medal. You're like the first loser. That's not the way that works, okay? So combine that with the fact that Kamala Harris... Has, is uniquely untalented for this position. Right. She has no skills whatsoever. She's not well-liked. She does. She can't stop cackling, and she's terrible at the job and has shown no leadership. Jesse, you know that meme on the Internet, you had one job? She had one job. <laughs> Just fix the border thing, and she can't even fix that. And she's told now to sell us on the vaccine. Where has she been? Not really. No, almost nowhere. Now she's got to sell, I believe, this uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill. More on the story. This unnamed source says, quote, people are thrown under the bus from the very top. There are short fuses and it's an abusive environment. It's not a healthy environment and people often feel mistreated. It's not a place where people feel supported, but a place where people feel treated like S. Now, remember President Biden said, if you start treating people, your subordinates bad, you're fired on the spot. Is she going to fire the vice president? Is he going to demand she clean up that story? Now, look, you want to marginalize a Fox News report? Go ahead. Or the uh, National Review story? Go ahead. Say, well, look at the source. I'm looking at the source. Politico goes out of their way to give a, put all uh, Democrats on a glide path. Believe me, I watched the cover of Vogue magazine, read some of that story I was throwing up in my mouth about Jill Biden and how she's a senior policy advisor. I don't know why, because she was a teacher? Next, Trump Organization. Total political indictment. They convene a grand jury. They investigate for three years. They got problems with his taxes. So a grand jury hands down an indictment on Alan uh, Weisenberg. Uh, He appeared today in court. He's back uh, out. Uh, They're trying to get him to flip. He's the CFO. 
They don't like the fact, reportedly, I don't know for sure, that he had a Mercedes. They say he didn't pay taxes on it. He got it through the company. They don't like the fact that he had a free apartment in Trump Tower. They say he didn't pay taxes on it. Really? You don't like Alan Weisenberg because he's the CFO of Trump Organization and he's not a Democrat. He's unflinchingly loyal to the family. He sold his house in Long Island to move there. He never takes a vacation. So here's a little of how CBS covered this Trump organization, the indictment. They're not looking to get the They don't have the family right now in the crosshairs. I'll talk to Andy McCarthy about it. And they don't obviously have the president. Cut 10. Did Alan Weisselberg do anything without former President Trump's knowledge? Nobody does anything major without Trump's knowledge and usually approval. In a statement, former President Trump said his company's actions were standard practice and in no way a crime. A lawyer for Mr. Trump told CBS News he does not foresee charges against the former president himself. The investigation continues. But Harry Littman, a former federal prosecutor, says Mr. Trump is not out of the woods. What does this mean for former President Trump? This indictment, anyway, looks to me like the culmination of a pressure campaign against Alan Weisselberg. How ridiculous is this? And I would feel the same way if they did this to Bill Clinton or Barack Obama. They're out of office. If they did something in office that was unsavory, that really carried on, go ahead and do it. But this is stuff that he did before. You had no problem when he was hosting The Apprentice and when he was talking politics. No targeting. People loved him. Wherever he went, everybody knew Donald Trump from Snoop Dogg on down to the congratulations he got from the Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance. But that's all changed, hasn't it? Because now he's a Republican getting in the face of Democrats. They couldn't touch him politically, so they want to go after his taxes. What do you think, that he's Al Capone? I'm sickened for the country on this. Not only is he unfairly targeted, but they're going to get the people around him. So you're going to put a 75-year-old person in prison because he got an apartment they didn't pay taxes on? You want to fine him? Is this the biggest problem in New York? Have you seen the streets? Have you seen the chaos? You don't charge thousands of people for destroying this city and defiling and blowing up cop cars. But you're going after the successful billionaire who has created so much job and so much commerce in the city and around the country and around the world because you don't like him politically. Please don't tell me that this is an urgency. we got to quickly find out who's staying at Trump Tower that worked for Trump Organization and is not paying taxes on gifts they may have gotten or a private school they may put their kids through using company money. Wow, a private school, a multi-billion dollar international company, and you got to find out why some eighth grader played for private school through an account that says Trump Corporation, if indeed that is the case. It is sickening. The other thing that I find disturbing but not surprising is a poll was done by Fox News, and they said, hey, listen, do you consider this on the 4th of July a perfect time to ask this question? Do you consider the United States the best country uh, to live? In 2011, they asked Americans that, 84% said yes. In 2015, 83% said yes. In 2021, they asked, you know what they said? 69%. A precipitous drop said, no, it's not. I suggest this. Yeah, you're right to be critical of the country, but in context, I ask you to travel. I ask you to go live other places. I ask you to do the antics that you do there, that you do here. And you just come back to me and you tell me, If there's a better place to live. And if the answer is yes, I have news for you. 
I would make the move to move. Because if you don't want to be here, you could be critical of the country and want to be here. If you don't understand it's the best, that what you were born of this country, you hit lotto. If you don't fully understand that or you can't appreciate that, I urge you to move. How do you feel on the 4th of July? 50, only 54%, by the way, of people under 45, uh, uh, people under f- uh, 45 say we're the best country. To me, that is a, a little scary. Uh, but not unexpected, considering where we're constantly running down our country and what we see in the streets and what some of these kids who are now young adults are learning in class. I want to take some calls next. I want to see how you're handling the 4th of July. The word is more of you are traveling than ever before because you didn't last year. How do you feel about it this year? one 408 You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The things that unite us, America's past of which we're so proud, our hopes and aspirations for the future of the world and this much-loved country, these things far outweigh what little divides us. And so tonight, we reaffirm that Jew and Gentile, we are one nation under God, the black and white, We are one nation indivisible, that Republican and Democrat, we are all Americans. Tonight, with heart and hand, through whatever trial and travail, we pledge ourselves to each other and to the cause of human freedom, the cause that has given light to this land and hope to the world. Yeah, there's got to be a reconfiguration of who's in this country. When you criticize the country, it's come from a, a, a place of respect. 
Because so many people are criticizing a country as if we're the worst on the planet. When you all you have to do is pick your head up and look what they're celebrating 100 years of oppression in China, 100 years of communism. Have you talked to a Russian that is happy there? His name isn't Vladimir Putin or an oligarch in some compound walled off from their people? Have you talked to the French? You're going to tell me there's social mobility there? You go to visit London, you think, I'd love to put down stakes. The answer is no, no, no. You respect where these people come from, except for the, the autocratic regimes. But you don't want to live there. And if you do, you should pick up and leave. You should understand what we have. It's hard to appreciate what you have when you've always had it. But if you go back and make an effort to understand where we've come and how unlikely our success is, I wouldn't see a poll that says 25% no longer think we're the best place to live on the planet. I would not. That number was at 14% just six years ago. Vivek Ramswamy weighed in. And by the way, you can weigh in too. You can write me if you're at work, BrianKillMe.com, and you can't do it. Um, and then uh, Ramik Ramswamy, and you've seen him on our channel. He's author of a brand new book called Woke Inc. Basically, what has happened to this next generation. So when we hit him with this question and told him what, this, what the study revealed, he said this, cut one. It's no surprise to me that the survey data is going in the direction that it is, because if we continue to teach our kids the fact that this country is imperfect, the fact that we have fallen short of our ideals, we have actually forgotten what those ideals were in the first place. And so not only teaching our kids, but even reminding ourselves or teaching ourselves the false narratives about our history is a good way of making people feel ashamed of our country. And that's what we're seeing in the survey data is that Part of what defines America isn't the geographic space that we share. It isn't even the economic comforts or privileges that we share. It's the fact that America is a set of ideas and ideals that bind us together. And the more we question those ideals, the less ideal of a place that America seems like that we want to live in. So that's it. you got to ask yourself, uh, let me just do a, a sober look. And I know when we get to travel again, it'll be a lot easier. But go to Greece. You know, Go over to, I don't know, the UAE. I'm just trying to think what might contend with this. Maybe you'd be happy in the Netherlands. Maybe you would. But if you look around in these societies where there's almost no social mobility and ambition, then you realize what America offers is opportunity, opportunity to be successful. Yeah, there's different situations. There's single-parent family. There's other situations. I was born into the inner city where there seems to be very little hope and very bad schools. I got it. I'm with you on that. Harder to work, but not impossible. Go seek out a mentor where one is usually in the next room over in some households. Others, you're in a perfectly nuclear family on the outside, but on the inside, there's an abusive situation going on. Terrible. You know, your life is going great and you get in a car accident. Things are tough. If life is full of hurdles, I'm not saying that. But I think the forefather's intent was not to make your life easier, but make it possible to fulfill whatever your goals are. And the beginning was, I need to find a way to eat. Then I want to find a way to live. Then I want to be able to live off my land. Then I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to have a business. And when you there was no social safety net, it was all or nothing. You see that over and over again from our founding fathers on down. But that's part of the process. You go ahead and read, and you appreciate what we have. You look around, you say, my taxes are really high. You pick up stakes, and you go to Texas. You go to Florida. Well, you know, I need the inner city. Uh, I want the, the bustle. I want Hollywood. I want the glitz and glamour. I want Los Angeles. It's all here. I want the open spaces. I got Iowa. I got upstate New York. I got Long Island. It's all there. Opportunity. Judy, listening in Virginia. Hey, Judy. Hey, how are you doing? So much history around you. What's your thoughts about this study? Well, the study... 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Honey, as I see it, um, first of all, America is the best place to live on the planet. Uh, however, the people that I talk to, they fear. I mean, they, they're, you know, my best friends, a lot of them are foreign nationals. I've heard their stories. They're horrendous in other, in other countries. But some of my friends around that live around here, they're afraid we're turning into those countries, that we are going to be a Marxist or communist country if we allow the left to keep moving forward the way they are, really just plowing through and uh, telling us what to do every minute. So um, I think it's a fear. So those numbers could reflect a real fear factor. Absolutely. There's a, there's a worry about where we're heading, but not, uh-huh. there should yeah. be more of, a, uh, of accounting about what we have. And when you see what's happening at the border, I get it. You know, and I, when I see us spending money we don't have by the tune of $33 trillion, I understand it. But that's why they have right. elections, consequences. That's why we have mayors and governors reining things in. So I think you should exactly. feel good about what we built up, especially the people around you in Virginia. When you got Madison, you have Jefferson, you have Monroe, and you got this guy named George Washington. Visit what they read what they wrote and see what they did. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. He pioneered all of the ways of manipulating the system and Uh, perhaps gaming the system and dealing with banks and tax authorities in slippery ways. So he knows all of the techniques that have been used. He knows all of the potential crimes that may have been committed. Uh, He must be feeling just like one of the family. And what's interesting is that he is probably the one person outside the family that Donald Trump trusted. Uh, that is Michael D'Antonio, and Michael is a author of this book, The Truth About Trump, and his his observation of what he saw about Alan Weisenberg, who was, uh, I guess, arraigned today or indicted today officially along with the Trump Organization. What does that actually mean from the legal perspective, especially with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office doing it? Andrew McCarthy would know. Uh, he is the former uh, assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York uh, and Fox News contributor. Andy, is this a bad day for President Trump? Could this be a day that he was expecting that could have been worse? Yeah, I think it's uh, I mean, it's never a good day when when something that's called the Trump company or the Trump organization uh, is going to be charged along with its uh, CFO. So, you know, in a in viewed in that lens, it's it's never a good day when something like that happens. But given what was expected here. And the fact that, you know, this is Cy Vance's white whale, as I've been uh, writing about at National Review today, um, in the sense that he's been pursuing Trump, not Weisselberg, not the Trump organization, Donald Trump, for years. And 
you know, with with respect to Mr. D'Antoni, um, you know, it's one thing to have someone like Weisselberg who can tell you all of the ins and outs of how the Trump organization uh, operates in terms of its uh, financial practices. It's quite another thing to have what uh, Cy Vance says, the Manhattan DA, which is the records. You know, if there's a case against Trump, he spent three years going up and down to the Supreme Court twice to get years of Donald Trump's financial record. And that's on top of having an investigation which has been geared toward decades of the Trump organization's criminal practices. And so far, they've, the only thing they've been able to come up with is that they didn't pay taxes on corporate perks like you know tuition for for kids and uh, and company cars and that kind of stuff it's no wonder brian that the federal prosecutors didn't seem interested in this case when i was in the southern district of new york the federal uh, prosecutor's office in manhattan um we would never have sat by and uh, and done nothing while the manhattan da's office uh, went after a big fish case that involved supposed, you know, federal felonies like bank fraud and tax fraud and the like. Um, it's no wonder they weren't particularly interested in this case. So a naive question, having not done your job, but could you be ramping up? Do you ever start slow? Do you ever start low, knowing where you're going, knowing what, or is it? Do you have more in your in your quiver? In other words, every case is different, um, but you know the the thing with. With Trump, Brian, I don't want to say that you never start that way, but, you know, we've we've kind of been there, done that. What they're doing to Weisselberg is not, from what I can detect, is not even a little bit different from what Mueller did with Paul Manafort. You know, the idea was to get somebody who is in the middle of everything and must have the goods on Trump and will squeeze him until he finally says uncle and gives us something. And, you know, they squeezed him as much as you could, you know, try to squeeze a stone, uh, and they got nothing. And that doesn't mean that Donald Trump is a great guy, but, you know, Trump's had good legal advice his whole life. He talks about Roy Cohn all the time when, he, you know, Roy Cohn was a notorious figure, but he's a very good, very sharp lawyer. And I think Trump knows how to do sharp business practices without necessarily getting himself into, you know, felonious bad behavior kind of conduct. So the problem the Democrats have, and Cy Vance is no different, uh, is that they want to have the Trump of their imagination rather than the Trump who exists, which is, and the Trump who exists simply is not a master criminal. That doesn't mean he's nature's nobleman, but he's just not what they imagine him to be. And I think the real danger for Democrats here is the district attorneys, including Vance's office of New York, are turning a blind eye while the city is going up in flames. Violent crime is skyrocketing, and they won't even prosecute the people who were involved in the violent rioting uh, last summer, which where cops got assaulted badly uh, and businesses got destroyed and the like. And yet they're scorching the earth to make a tax case on Trump's CFO. It's pure politics. You know, after spending and three years, it's unbelievable. To get his Andy, I'd feel the same way if they were going after Clinton, Obama, or Bush I, you know, for things that had nothing to do with them being president. This is pure targeting. They're saying, "I'm going from my point of view," and you're you're not shy about stopping me if I'm mischaracterizing. So I don't want you to get shy now. But right. from my my point of view, they're saying, "I got to find something wrong with him because we hate him. I don't want him run for president." Right. I hate this guy. We've got to find something wrong. 
So they, who, what, what did my, Michael Cohen was back and forth eight times, eight times minimum. And he says, it's just beginning. Really? Just beginning? All right. If that's the way it works, the CFO is going to turn around. I guess he could be looking at how many, how many years could they – when they talk to Weisenberg, when the, when the door closes behind him and they put this in front of him about his Mercedes-Benz that he got as a gift and from the rent-free apartment he has in Trump Tower – all right. And when his kids goes to school on Trump Organization letterhead instead of his uh, Weisenberg letterhead, whatever his, uh, his last name is, what, when they look at him, are they going to say you're going to get you spend the rest of your life in prison? Are they going to say five years? We're going to fine you five billion dollars you don't have. What do they say to him? I, I think it's hard for them to say any of that kind of stuff, Brian, because, you know, number one, he's got good lawyers. Uh, Trump has had some terrible legal help in the past. The lawyers in this case that are representing tr- the Trump organization, the people connected to it, Ron Fischetti is an excellent defense lawyer. I mean, he's as good a defense lawyer as you're going to find in New York, which is saying something. So he's got good legal help here. I don't think that they're going to walk into the Manhattan DA's office and be intimidated. And the second thing, which I guess this is kind of maybe inside baseball for people who have been in law enforcement, um, but – you know, with all the things that you just laid out, have you noticed that the IRS is not involved here? Yeah. Have you noticed that the you know the the FBI is not involved here? The federal prosecutor. You know, these guys in the leaks that they've put out to the media for the last couple of years, they've been talking about bank fraud, yeah. tax fraud, insurance fraud. Those are all federal crimes, Brian. But the federal authorities aren't involved here, um, which ought to say something to people. It ought to say that you know. Um, there's a lot less here than meets the eye, and they're not going to send Weisselberg to jail for the rest of his life for uh, you know, not paying taxes on a corporate car. Are you kidding me? They don't care about Weisselberg. They don't care about uh, you know, tax evasion on corporate parks. What they care about is Trump, and I think you know, what the Democrats are missing here is not only that people are going to be outraged, I think, by the fact that they're wasting – resources on on a case that may not be there in the nature of a trifling financial fraud when the city is burning and the DA isn't doing anything about that and and I just think that there you know if the goal here is to is to reanimate Trump's political career by showing that these guys will stop at nothing in in terms of uh, misusing their power in order to try to nail him and therefore turn him into a victim and fuel his narrative about how you know it's him and the Democrats involved in this kind of a you know a cage match, which obviously creates a lot of sympathy for him and really animates his base. I, I think that they're going to be you know they could end up being responsible for getting this guy reelected, and I wouldn't have believed it. Well, um, I, as somebody that I, I'll be honest with you, I like him personally. Uh, some of the things overall, I shake my head at and and how he gets himself yep. in his own way. But I don't like when people are targeted, even though no one feels bad for a billionaire. I do feel bad for what has been going on and the revelations that came out in your book about the trumped up pun intended on what happened with Russia and how it destroyed his first yep. two and a half years. And now they go after him personally. And try to defame him and take his most valuable asset, and that's his name, off buildings 
and off uh, golf courses. But just to show you the length in which they've gone, Jennifer Weisselberg is the ex-daughter-in-law of Alan Weisselberg, so married to his son. She's been spilling her guts to these uh, the Manhattan DA. Listen to what she said on another network, Cut 14. Have you told prosecutors of other illegal activities involving the Trump organization that is not about the taxability of fringe benefits? Yes, because my documents go into uh, Trump compensation um, as well. And, and so to answer your question, yes, my grand jury subpoena from the DA's office also involves any information about the woman rank, the last week, the city contracts, any financials or any information I learned. Uh, Andy, your thoughts about what she just said? I think that, Brian, you know, again, I feel like it's been there, done that. This reminds me of, remember the niece that they dug up for, and she had her 15 minutes, did she write a book about Mary Trump? Trump Or whatever her name was. I don't know. It goes to show you, we all knew what her name was. Her older brother, the older brother's daughter. Right. So now we have what? What is this now again? This is the daughter-in-law of the, the ex or the former daughter-in-law of the guy that they have now charged because they can't charge Trump, and she's going to be the uh, she's the Rosetta Stone that makes the case. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. More from her. Cut thirteen. <laughs> Interested to see how broad it is. I think the DA has done a good job. I'm not surprised the indictment has come um, today. I'm glad that he's finally taking accountability. He's been using my my kids as leverage, as pawns to try to get me to be silent. And when you say he's using your children as pawns, mm-hmm. are you talking about you're talking about your former father-in-law, Alan Weisselberg? Mm-hmm. And discovering the taxes in 2017 in my divorce and realizing there was a lot of imputed money that wasn't being reported and was going to affect my ability to take care of my children. Um, I haven't. My children haven't been home since February 3rd of 2020. I took them to school. They've been leveraging my silence over that. I think that my kids have been used as pawns, and it's it's really sad. Andy? Well, Brian, you know, look, I, I think everybody, when they hear these stories about, uh, you know, divorce and recriminations, you know, we've all, if we haven't been through that ourselves, we know somebody who has, and these are ugly situations. But... You know, to take a step back and look at the broader context, I don't think it's going to grab people under circumstances where the DA is clearly using Weisselberg as a pawn to get at Trump, that they trot out somebody who says that she's being – her kids are being used as a pawn in, in connection with Weisselberg. You know, I just don't exactly. – at the end of the day, the, the fact of the matter is um, Cy Vance, the DA in Manhattan – spent three years getting years of Trump's financial records. If there's a case against Trump, it's not Weisselberg or, or you know, someone who's going to come in and spill the beans. It's in black and white in the financial records. And if he's poured over those and all he's come up with so far is an indictment against Weisselberg for basically puny tax violations involving uh, evading taxes on fringe corporate benefits, which goes on – uh, in in uh, American industry all the time, I, I have to think people are going to think that uh, they're going to understand why Trump isn't too terribly upset today. Lastly, uh, just to see what happened with Bill Cosby yesterday at about two thirty in the two o'clock in the afternoon, we hear Bill Cosby's getting out of prison because of a violation that they broke their word to him that if he went ahead and and you tell me if I'm wrong here, if he went ahead and gave his uh, statement, if he gave his deposition, that they wouldn't put him in jail. He gave his deposition where it basically admitted giving this woman quaaludes, and they put him in jail. 
They broke their word, and they decide to let him out. Your thoughts? Well, you know, it's it's kind of like, Brian, what we talked about with Derek Chauvin in the sense that in every criminal case, there's two things that are important. One is, did the guy do it? That is, is he guilty? And secondly, which is the piece that people often forget, is did he get a fair trial? Were his rights violated? And in this case, I think you can come away saying two things. Number one, it's been proved beyond a fairly well that Crosby's, that Crosby's a bad guy, that he did a lot of awful things in the nature of sexual assault. But he didn't get a fair trial. You know, they, they, this case shouldn't have been charged. The DA de facto promised him he wouldn't be charged. He cooperated with the civil case against one of the women who brought claims against him uh, in detrimental reliance on what the prosecutor promised him. And then when the political climate changed, they turned around and reneged on the promise and tried to prosecute him. And that's a pretty fundamental violation of due process. It's kind of surprising that the um, the original appellate court ruling, the interim appellate court, didn't throw out the case, but the Supreme Court of the state of uh, Pennsylvania did. And, you know, the other thing, Brian, is it was a very weak case, which is why the prosecutor in 2006 didn't think he was giving away anything. When they tried to try it, the first time they tried it, it the jury hung because the evidence was not very convincing. And then they ended up, uh, you know, putting their thumb on the scale in the second trial by informing the jury that Cosby had paid the civil settlement that they kind of duped him into cooperating that case in that case on. And they brought in five women who gave testimony about similar acts that weren't charged yeah. in the case, which, you know, legally is a very uh, it's a very tough thing. So he didn't get a fair trial. Uh, doesn't make make you make him a good guy. Doesn't change what yeah. the, the destruction of his legacy, which is much deserved, but it's it's a just result. Uh, Andy McCarthy, I really owe you a lot of money. I know you charge by the minute, and it's going to cost me a bundle, but it was <laughs> worth every dime. Thanks so much, Andy. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Have you a great four. You too. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You know where I am? Here's a hint. The Little Havana Cigar Factory. Famous ball and chain, bar and lounge. Over here, Domino Park. It's the story of Little Havana. Five square miles, Miami-Dade County. In 1959, Cubans began to pour into this region. They were fleeing Castro's Cuba. On this edition of our series, we're going to talk about this success story of this immigrant group. So successful, Time Magazine says the only one more successful, the Pilgrims. This is the story of Little Havana, and it's indeed what made America great. And I just thought that would be a perfect way to promo what I think you all should be watching this weekend, what made America great. It's Fourth of July weekend, patriot, patriotically, uh, looking at our country, not to whitewash and say all sing together, look at how great we are, but to look around and go look at all the different aspects of our country that is trying to do what no other civilization has done, meld together all these ethnic groups, all these, uh, all these different religions, these cultures into one called the melting pot. That's what we used to learn in school about the melting pot. Hey, you're Italian, you're Irish, you're 
Swedish. Uh, you're African-American. Yeah, that we all came from different places for different reasons. Prior generations or just this generation, just happy to be here. Uh, and welcome to the number one economic and military superpower in the world. They want to talk about how we're declining. I'll bet on us, and here's why. If you look at our enemies, they don't have any pure motivation. They have leaders that want to be the best for evil reasons. We want to be the best as a country, bottom up. They're all about top down. They want to fear, have their population fear them. We're the ones who put our leaders into office. They, they kill anyone who threatens them leaving office. And so many other things. Thanks so much for listening. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Order any of my books. Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, including that. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to go inside this whole controversy with this hammer thrower who doesn't like this country because of the third stanza of the national anthem, and she's against systematic racism. And yet she still wants to wear the red, white, and blue over in Tokyo. Jane Hampton Cook, who wrote The Burning of Washington, knows all about Francis Scott Key and the song that he wrote that started as a poem. She'll be joining us now. She also wrote the uh, James and Dolly Madison on the War of Eight. Uh, the, uh, she actually uh, wrote many books on this. She actually worked in the staff of George W. Bush. And then we're going to do a simulcast uh, on Fox News Channel with America's Newsroom. We'll have a chance to talk to Dana Perino and Trace Gallagher filling in for Bill Hemmer. And one of the topics we'll be talking about is the brand new series of What Made America Great. Uh, so we have that. We have the President of the United States heading to Florida uh, to see what's going on in Miami with the terrible destruction of that building that collapsed that has over 140 still missing. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The things that unite us, America's past of which we're so proud, our hopes and aspirations for the future of the world and this much-loved country, these things far outweigh what little divides us. Yes, that was Ronald Reagan in a different time, 1986, talking about the 4th of July weekend. And now a new study shows Americans believe America is the best place to live well, not as many. Seven of ten say, yes, this is the best place to live. But it was once eight of ten. And only 69% are thrilled to be here now. Those under 45, just 54%. We'll go over the numbers and why they may feel that way. Number two. Former President Trump's company and its longtime chief financial officer are formally accused of tax-related crimes. Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg just turned himself in and is due to be arraigned today in criminal court. Wow, look at this. Trump Organization and the, and the CFO of the Trump Organization are indicted in court today. They're trying to pressure to get Trump. If this is the best they have... Trump does not have much to fear. In fact, in a city that's burning to the ground, riddled with crime and destruction, why are they focusing on a billionaire's taxes? Number one. 
According to a new report in Politico, quoting members of Kamala's own team, quote, ideas are ignored or met with harsh dismissals and decisions are dragged out. People are thrown under the bus. There are short fuses and it's an abusive environment. It's not a place where people feel supported. It's a place where people feel treated like bleep. Wow. It is uh, the vice president's office sounds much like the former senator from Los Angeles running for president's campaign. She is clueless, Kamala Harris is. Political blows open. The office of Kamala Harris called it backbiting, chaotic. She said overall it's dour, like when she was running for president. Kamala Harris and her staff are imploding. Now much more evidence that she is overmatched by the position and is not the heir apparent anyone thought she was, that Joe Biden evidently never was sold on her. And this would not have been okayed, I don't believe. It would have been major pushback from the White House unless they believe it's been totally true. Do you believe some of these details? This is embarrassing. Three months in, she cannot run her staff. Every, By the way, they just had two key members resign who was head of travel. They said it was their intention all the time. Really, to take a job and leave in three months from Washington, D.C. with somebody who thought that was thought to be the heir apparent to Joe Biden? Don't think so. Unnamed sources told Politico this. People are thrown under the bus from the very top. There are short fuses, and it's an abusive environment. It's not a healthy environment that people often feel mistreated. It's not a place where people feel supported, but a place where people are treated like blank. The handling of the border visit was the latest problem. It was a chaotic moment for the staff, they claim. They quickly became mired uh, before them. Harris' team experiencing low morale, porous um, Poorest lines of communication and diminishing trust among aides and senior officials. Much of the frustration is internally is directed at Tina Floynor, the chief of staff. Uh, Harris chose her. She's a veteran of Democratic politics. Evidently, she doesn't treat people on Kamala, on Kamala Harris's staff well. Well, is she being demanding? And is this a bunch of snowflakes? Or can she not run an organization? Does she not understand how to motivate people, just berate and diminish people? To me, this is incredible. Devastating for the White House. There was a, two or three weeks ago, you heard some disparaging things about the president, the way he's got it drilled down in every detail before he gives the uh, small speech. How if you don't get, if you don't give back to him crisp answers, he's to understand he loses his temper. We heard all that. But this is so much worse, and for Harris in particular, this is really debilitating because she wants to look as though she is the future of the party. Uh, of course, as a woman, great. As African-American heritage, Jamaican heritage, great. As um, Indian heritage, great. And turns out she's experienced, but she's not good. She doesn't study, is not natural on her feet, does not seem to know the depth of any issues. This is something Dan Bongino pointed out. Cut nine. Nobody wants to work for number two, okay? Even in the Secret Service or on the staff. They don't. Uh, There's great guys over there. I love them. They do an amazing job. But I know the staff. I've worked with them on both sides. You see them running around. Everybody wants to work for the boss. Nobody wants to work for the silver medal winner. All right? You don't get the Wheaties box with the silver medal. You're like the first loser. That's not the way that works, okay? So combine that with the fact that Kamala Harris... Has, is uniquely untalented for this position. Right. She has no skills whatsoever. She's not well-liked. She, she can't stop cackling, and she's terrible at the job and has shown no leadership. Jesse, you know that meme on the Internet, you had one job? She had one job. <laughs> Just fix the border thing, and she can't even fix that. Yeah, it kills and get close. Stan Bongino weighing in. Uh, by the way, uh, special thanks and a welcome to a brand-new affiliate. We're always thrilled to have her. Now we go back to northeast Georgia, where we're going to be heard on 94.3 WCHM. 
Well, at News Talk 94.3, I should say. So we're thrilled to be in Georgia. Uh, this is, uh, I think, our fourth station in Georgia. It is uh, one of the fastest-growing places and where the whole country is focused on, especially with these Senate races. Uh, Warnock could be going against Walker. It's fantastic to have an outpost there. Maybe I can visit in person when I have a chance to promote my book for November 3rd. Maybe we can arrange something there. But happy to be in North Georgia. Uh, real quick, we come to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. You hear me say that before. But when New York becomes news, uh, the national news, we want to bring it up. And what is going on with the New York election? Such an embarrassment. They have still not come up with a Democratic nominee for the mayoral race against Curtis Sliwa on the Republican side. Whoever gets the Democratic nomination heavily favored to win. So we thought it was going to be a former 22-year veteran of the police force, a liberal captain, Eric Adams, but evidently his ne- his lead is getting narrower. They still have not figured out a way to find out who actually won because you can list the first five people on your ballot instead of just telling your selection. And now we find out that the lead is narrowing, and some have speculated that maybe there's a problem. Maybe the fact that he has put his personal number up after he saw a horrific crime and shooting in the street to get the assailant Maybe because one of his staffers got knifed while volunteers about giving out flyers and talking about their uh, Eric Adams, the uh, Brooklyn Borough president. Uh, He realizes that crime is a problem and he's willing to fight against it. And maybe that's not the right message. Adams wants a judge now to oversee the vote count and preserve the integrity of the ballots. His lead is now 51.1% to uh, 48.9% to Catherine Garcia, who's sanitation executive. But he is, um, uh, but she is somebody that seems to be creeping up every single time. Maybe he's not liberal enough, and maybe they're trying to screw up uh, this election. That could be something to look out for. Here's DeRoy Murdoch, who's voting for Curtis Sliwa, by the way. Cut 24. I live in New York City. We don't know who the Democrat nominee is going to be. And it's just a giant mess. There's another example of what happens when the Democrats and the left touch something, which is it turns into a disaster. We see it on the border. Uh, we see it with the defund the police. And here we had a system for centuries where you go in and pick the one candidate you think is the best person to, to lead that in that position. And instead of one man, one vote, we created this situation with sort of essentially one man, five votes. Uh, you pick among five candidates, and then they count them, uh, the, the first uh, the first ranked people, and then the second to fifth people. We're not going to be counted until June 26, four days after Election Day. We may not know the answer to this until July 12. That's 20 days after the election. Mm. Absolute nonsense. It's unbelievable. And it's Governor Cuomo's idea. And the mayor says, well, I don't really know what's going on. You've been there seven and a half years. You still don't know what's going on? Even worse than I thought. When we come back, Jane Hampton Cook on Gwen Berry's push to distance herself from the country, even though she's competing for the country in track and field, and what she think, what she said about Francis Scott Key and the national anthem. Jane Hampton Cook is going to take that on, prestigious uh, historian, which she is. She also helped us out on what made America great. And then we'll do a simulcast on America's Newsroom, where we're going to talk about the NCAA adopting a new plan that allows 18-, 19-, 20-year-olds, if they can go ahead and endorse products and keep the money, that is a titanic change in college sports. We'll talk about that and more when we come back on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
I never said that I didn't want to go to the Olympic Games. That's why I competed and got third and made the team. I never said that I hated the country. Never said that. All I said was I respect my people enough to not stand or acknowledge something that disrespects them. I love my people, point blank, period. If you know your history, you know the full song of the national anthem. The third paragraph speaks to slaves in America, our blood being slain and, and piltered all over the floor. It's disrespectful and it does not speak for black Americans. It's obvious. There's no, there's no question. Is that in fact the case? She's upset with the third stanza, which no one has read really since 1908. Uh, Francis Scott Key wrote it in 1814. The person that knows that probably best is Jane Hampton Cook, award-winning best-selling author of the nine books, including The Burning of the White House, James and Dolly Madison, and The War of 1812. Jane, I thought about you right away when you saw this hammer thrower talk about the disdain she has for the national anthem. Is she off base in the third stanza that no one reads? She really doesn't know her history, and she's not the only one. A lot of people don't, but Frances Scott Key wrote that in September of 1814. In April of 1814, the British, we were fighting the British, issued an edict and said, hey, slaves, if you take the risk of fleeing, we'll take you, but first you have to fight on the front lines for us against America. So when it says there's no... Well, refuge could save this hireling and the slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. He's talking about being forced to fight for the British. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with slavery in America. It's it's it, or about Americans. It's about what the British were trying to do to the slaves. That's the way I interpret it, based on the historical context of when that was written. Right, uh, and keep in mind, we got into the war because of the oppressment of our uh, sailors, and sometimes there were merchants on the open seas. They needed people to fight in their navy to finish off the French, and we wanted them to stop it. They wouldn't listen to us, so they said, "You keep doing that up. We're going to declare war on you." And they said, "Well, do what you have to do." And we did, and next thing you know, we're in a war, and it did not start off well. It ended up uh, our worst moment, bar none, was burning of the White House to the ground, uh, the Capitol building, um, uh, the newspaper, the the number of newspaper there. They really destroyed the Capitol. And, and, but the big, bigger story is Francis Scott Key in the Battle of Baltimore was on a ship trying to get to negotiate the release of a, of a businessman from the British. He wor- worked it out. But then the bombing started, and he had to stay, and he saw the battle. He saw Fort McHenry withstand the bombing of the, of the British, so the flag was still there, wrote the poem, it would become our national anthem. How many people even think about the third stanza? Was it ever meant to be part of the national anthem? You know, I don't think so. I mean, the song had really taken hold. People would sing the first stanza at all these events before it really became officially the national anthem. So I don't I don't think that people focused a lot on the third verse to begin with. But even then, you know, they a lot of them understood just what you said. The word hireling could easily refer to American sailors being taken from American ships and forced to fight with the British, um, because that's exactly that was the moral cause of the war, you know, of 1812. And you know, I came across something when I was writing the burning of the White House, where Francis Scott Key knew that a woman married to a serv- a free servant worked for Dolly Madison. 
he was married to a woman who was a slave. And Francis Scott Key said, hey, I want Dolly, you to take her. I want to free this woman, but I want her to have refuge. And I want you to help give her refuge. And so he said, I wouldn't have it any other way. So he did the emancipation papers. And so whenever I, a lot of times when I've seen Francis Scott Key deal with the issue of slavery, he's often talking about the issue of refuge, wanting to make sure that freed slaves had a safe place to go so they wouldn't get recaptured. So there's just so much more to it. Um, and then, you know, when we listen to the first stanza, we are we don't even think about the War of 1812 because those words resonate today. You know, the Star-Spangled Banner and the freedom that it stands for resonates with people today, people who've had family members fight in Iraq, Afghanistan, World War II, Vietnam. You know, we, it's, it's inspirational for us today, and that's really the genius of the, the Star-Spangled Banner and why it has you know, been our national anthem. So you know, she's just the latest to disparage the flag in our history. Uh, what happened? Why, why do we have to, why do we suddenly have to, we feel so fractured as a country? Why is it now in vogue to say negative things about our nation? Why is it that 60, only 69% of the country in a recent survey said this is the best place to live when the number was at 84%? What's going on, Jane? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's critical race theory type things. It's 1619 project. It's cultural Marxism. It's just kind of tearing down our heritage and our culture to to create chaos and it's also attention getting she's gotten a lot more attention for what she did than had she um participated right i mean it gives people attention it gives them 15 minutes of fame and so that i think sometimes that drives a lot of this is i can get a lot of attention if i if i you know do something different but you know we we want to raise everyone regardless of their skin color in the belief that all of us are created You know, in the image of God, we are endowed by a creator with inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we've reached a point where we've been, we're the most successful multi-ethnic country in the history of the world, but we're on the precipice of losing it because we, we don't take stock and appreciate what we have, and we're not teaching people hopeful Right. Uh, messages about about their future, about our children's future. It's the challenge because we're not the generation that won our freedom. We're not the generation that continued to have to be challenged in fighting for the freedom. We didn't watch it almost all disappear uh, in 1814 in the War of 1812. Right. You know, we we didn't have all that, so it's hard to appreciate what you were born into. It's, it's, it seems to be easier to judge. The other thing that struck me that I want you to weigh in on quick is the National Archives says that they are embarrassed that the founding fathers are all white and rich, and they're setting up separate trigger warnings for people in case they get triggered by looking at Jefferson, Madison, Washington, and Hamilton, and they might have a negative view on our country because we're all they're all rich white guys. It's the wrong message. What's your message to the well, National Archives? Well, my message is that our country was born out of numerous injustices. Ben Franklin's brother was thrown in jail for publishing a newspaper. The king responded to the Boston Tea Party by installing martial law in Massachusetts. And so these people were fighting oppression, um, increased insult, and a total vigorous attempt at our total destruction is how one newspaper described it in 1776. And so it was injustice and oppression and tyranny that our founders were fighting 
they were being oppressed. Right. We just didn't solve all of the injustices that existed in our country right. in 1776, but they, we set us on a path where we could remedy those things. Right. By the so way, we, yeah. Without them, we don't have a country. Jane Hampton Cook, thanks so much. Appreciate you putting it in perspective. Thank you so much. You got it. When we come back, your calls, and then America's Newsroom. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's no wonder, Brian, that the federal prosecutors didn't seem interested in this case. When I was in the Southern District of New York, the federal a prosecutor's office in Manhattan, um, we would never have sat by and uh, and done nothing while the Manhattan DA's office uh, went after a big fish case that involved supposed you know federal felonies like bank fraud and tax fraud and the like. Um, it's no wonder they weren't particularly interested in this case. And it was uh, amazing. Andy McCarthy looked at the indictments handed to the Trump Organization and their CFO and said, "There's nothing to see here." And, you know, you have the ex-daughter-in-law who comes forward. The ex-the disgraced attorney Michael Cohen has come forward. He's had uh, three and a half years, did Cyrus Vance, the Manhattan DA, to go after him. And Andy points out that, look, the federal DA would love to take down the president or any president. High-profile case, you can make your career. Blind shake. Andy McCarthy took down the blind shake. He became a household name for people that cared about our national security. That's the same thing that could happen. But this is a political witch hunt, and they announced indictments today, and you could see people were thinking, is that it? Is that it? Yeah, it looks like a total joke and a total sham. Unless there's something else going on that we have not seen or read. Cut 36. The problem the Democrats have, and Cy Vance is no different, uh, is that they want to have the Trump of their imagination rather than the Trump who exists, which is, and the Trump who exists simply is not a master criminal. That doesn't mean he's nature's nobleman, but he's just not what they imagine him to be. And I think the real danger for Democrats here is the district attorneys, including Vance's office of New York, are turning a blind eye while the city is going up in flames. Violent crime is skyrocketing. And they won't even prosecute the people who were involved in the violent rioting uh, last summer, which where cops got assaulted badly uh, and businesses got destroyed and the like. And yet they're scorching the earth to make a tax case on Trump's CFO. That's exactly what I've been saying over the last few weeks. Wait, this guy is not enemy number one. This isn't the mob dominating New York, taking tax revenue and extorting business owners who are desperate for the feds to get involved. Bobby Kennedy taking down the mafia. This is the very successful CEO of the Trump Organization who has created so much business from New York around this country and around the world with his name and with his entrepreneurial spirit, who was not a problem until he ran for president as a Republican and rankled the feathers of just about everyone in New York from Cuomo to de Blasio to obviously Cyrus Vance and the attorney general. And then they looked at his organization. They got his tax and they say, well, wait a second. That Mercedes Benz that you gave the CFO, he never paid taxes on it. He's staying in an apartment rent free, never paid taxes on its value in New York. Really? Oh, my. Their kid went to private school and they wrote the check for the private school on Trump organization uh, from the Trump Organization account. If any of these stuff happened, I'm sure there's a counter-argument to it. The CFO knew about it. And they're trying to squeeze Alan Weisserberg 
for what they to get Donald Trump, but there's nothing there. Trump doesn't email. He doesn't text message. All right? That's the story. He makes phone calls. That's been on tape, not the other stuff. Last one on Andy McCarthy, cut 37. Have you noticed that the IRS is not involved here? Yeah. Have you noticed that the you know the the FBI is not involved here? The federal prosecutor, you know, these guys in the leaks that they've put out to the media for the last couple of years, they've been talking about bank fraud, yeah. tax fraud, insurance fraud. Those are all federal crimes, Brian. But the federal authorities aren't involved here, um, which ought to say something to people. It ought to say that you know um, there's a lot less here. That meets the eye, and they're not going to send Weisselberg to jail for the rest of his life for, uh, you know, not paying taxes on a corporate car. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and I just want to finish this up because uh, this is a the big story around the country, and they kept saying when, when Donald Trump's in a lot of trouble when he gets out, he's not releasing his taxes. They finally took his taxes. They got his taxes. Michael Cohen has been up there eight times. Look out, Donald Trump's going to jail. Right? All the late night shows having great fun. President coming in and out of the former president coming out of the Trump Tower and everyone talking about it. He's staying in Mar-a-Lago and they don't they don't want him there. They stay going over to New Jersey and the governor uh, doesn't like him there. Well, when you look at what they have on him, this is pure targeting. And if you factor in the city is burning, crime is ridden. Uh, this these streets are crime ridden. They're full of homeless. For the worst that I've seen since maybe the early 1980s, it's not safe to go into the subways. They have to flood Times Square with cops to give the tourists a perception they're safe. Here's how CBS characterized it this morning, cut 11. Given the fact that the former president's identity is all tied up in this company and in the way that he did business for 50 years, This is a a moment of anguish for this family. It's almost as if they are personally under physical attack. And I think the greatest fear they have is that this process is going to unravel and reveal all of the methods that they have used over the years to gain and game the system. This is a very dark day for the Trump family. In what way? Is it a dark day? You targeted for three and a half years and the CFO has some extraneous tax things that you find unsavory? The IRS, as, as I can't even claim to know, you know, to think about this, but Andy says, you notice the feds aren't involved? Did you notice the IRS is not involved? And why should they be involved? They've been auditing him, looking at him for years. Now, all of a sudden, a fresh look because he's president and a new president's in charge. Now you're going to go find it? Isn't that a terrible sign for the country? Don't you, aren't you, isn't that unsettling to you? And I think you would be, if knowing my listeners, I think you would be upset if they were targeting Barack Obama over something that happened before you even took office, maybe before he was senator. Wait a second, leave the guy alone. If he did something in office that it was so heinous that they traveled and followed him to private life, all right, you know. It's a little aggressive, sounds very something we'd see in Central and South America or the Middle East or the Pakistan. You know, but, you know, he did something wrong and you think there's something there. But this, this is, we're going to investigate the Trump organization because of rumors we heard. They couldn't find anything. Usually you're following one pattern that brings you to the crime and you find out if there's anything there and can you bring up a case. Instead, they looked at it from a fresh outsider perspective and they just put the hammer down. Also, you know how hard it was during the four years for the Trump Organization? They do a lot of stuff internationally. They told Don Jr., I know you're handling international things, but we don't want you doing any deals internationally. Okay? 
Do you know how hard it was when you have 44% of the country or 43% of the country vote for you and 66 are upset? 66% are upset that you're president? And guess what that 66% is? A lot of your customers. A lot of your customers that play golf. A lot of your customers that rent hotel rooms. Trump organization, the Trump uh, organization has a great hotel in Washington. Okay, we'll boycott that, right? Okay, what about people that go into a Trump hotel? Now they're stigmatized because they're liberal. They want Hillary Clinton to win. They're offended that he won. So his organization gets hurt in almost every way. Now, in places that vote for Donald Trump, mostly the blue-collar people, a lot of them anyway— a lot of them aren't staying in this Trump Tower. They can't afford the condos, right? They're not in the major cities where a lot of his buildings are. They don't really afford that. A lot of them aren't joining private golf clubs. So that hurt him as well. So when Trump couldn't run the organization, when the organization becomes limited, they take on additional debt. There's got to worry about uh, loans coming out and consolidating debt. Debt is part of that business. They got hurt sad, but he said, you know what, it's good enough for the country. And the president getting hurt financially is not saying they knew. Jefferson left office, he was ruined. George Washington left office, he had nothing. Harry Truman left office, you know, he basically would go back to his library. The guy was a haberdasher and a farmer uh, before that for years. I think one of the first ones to cash in was Ronald Reagan did some speeches afterwards, but you don't do it to get rich. In fact, you're hurt because you go into a blind trust. George W. Bush didn't make a ton of money, especially as he got out. A lot of his money was in stocks and investments. 2008, the bottom fell out. He wasn't running things. So you don't do it to get rich. Yeah, you cash in if you're successful. Barack Obama's got this huge book deal of speeches. Ronald Reagan had huge speeches. Jimmy Carter's not really sought after until maybe 10 years afterwards when we started doing a lot of this charity work. So those are the things that are going on. When we come back, actually, we're going to stay right here. We're about to go on Fox News Channel, and we're going to talk about the NCAA, the new rules. And so much more. In fact, I'll just wait to be clued in. Dana Perino and Trace Gallagher together. Also, there's some good news for uh, Republicans over in Arizona. They're the uh, election rules that they put in place for 2022 and in the future have been uh, ruled, cons- ruled constitutional. So they will stand. Also happening in Washington right now, a couple of things. Uh, the president of the United States is um, going to surf is in Miami, Florida at Surfside where that building collapsed. He's going to be there with the families. He's with the governor, Ron DeSantis. An interesting shot. DeSantis showing great class as uh, Biden is with him. They probably, probably uh, imagine, never even met before. So they're meeting today, going over both sides. Remember, it's a Republican state for the most part, but there's a lot of Democratic mayors. Also, we have Nancy Pelosi announcing the appointing of a, a special select committee to investigate January 6th. So CNN has some more programming to cover. So that's good for them. They're still getting nobody watching. So as uh, America's newsroom continues to kind of surf around and go through these major items, they're going to eventually come to us, at which time we're going to be talking about a few things, one of which the NCAA is going to allow Division One athletes uh, for now, maybe more, to make money off their likeness. If they have a great marketing idea, if they have something that maybe you want the – uh, the basketball player, whether he's a star or not, to be able to come down and sign autographs at the local dealership, they can make money. They're not going to be able to get paid directly, but I imagine marketing agents, again, marketing agents, key, are going to be flooding to uh, these bigger schools especially and other schools including that are major stories in their small towns to see if they can represent them with the local, whether it's a local dealership, the local sporting goods store, maybe national ads. I mean, if you're a Heisman Trophy uh, favorite, 
You probably got some national ads that want to sponsor you. They can't pay you. But if you're at USC and a running back or a quarterback over at the University of Tennessee, instead of waiting four years to get paid while you go to school and compete, you're not going to be able to get paid directly, and certainly not, especially if you're a Peyton Manning-type figure in college, but you're going to be able to cash in and be able to, uh, when your jersey is sold maybe in stores, in the bookstore, maybe there's going to be a percentage of money that goes back to you. And if you want to show up on campus and do those things, now in certain states they set up parameters. I understand Nebraska has got a leg up on everybody, letting their recruits know there's going to be a market for you. And not only do you, are you worshipped in the University of Nebraska, now you can actually get paid. And for people that don't go pro, this is their moment. And it's not a lot of, even if you're an outstanding offensive lineman, it's not a high-profile position especially. What if you're a backup, uh, you know, your backup guard at University of Michigan? You're not going pro. The CBA doesn't exist anymore. Maybe over in Europe you'll make some money, but you're never going to be rich. But when you're at the University of Michigan, you're wanted. When we, do, when we come back, um, I'm going to discuss all those things with Dana Prino and Trace Gallagher. As continue to ride the breaking news, you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I think we're going to go on Fox News Channel. We'll have to see 1-866-408-7669. We're going to be talking about the NCAA, be able to cash in on their likenesses. We're going to be talking about uh, this new Joe Biden story as he relates to Hunter Biden. Back in 2014 to 2016, evidently, there's pictures that show that he took Air Force Two with Hunter Biden on it to meet with... uh, to meet with uh, two multi-billionaires about business dealings with Mexican energy company that would really start having traction after Hunter Biden is named to the board of the Ukrainian Burisma, that energy company with Burisma. There's pictures there. There's emails all in this laptop. What was Joe Biden doing on Air Force Two with his son flying to Mexico to do a private business deal? And now Joe Biden looks flat out like a liar when he came out and said, I've never done, uh, I never discussed business with my son. Not only did they discuss it, they flew in together to lock it up, which is stunning to me. This laptop is going to be a part of a Miranda Devine's new book that calls Laptop from Hell. But he has managed to, Hunter Biden is caught using uh, all types of disparaging racial terms, including the N-word in emails. He got a total pass. Then he and longtime business partner Jeff Cooper fly down with the vice president of the United States on Air Force Two, meet with the Carlos Swim and Miguel Almin uh, about business, potential business deal. They think they could do a gigantic deal is one of the uh, words they use. Um, and the White House has no response to this emails to the pictures. So this is going to get worse. if, And I think sooner or later... Uh, sooner or later, this is going to get worse. And sooner or later, I think people are going to have to pay attention to this. Now, at the same time this story comes out, for those people who say when this gets really bad for Joe, if he starts failing like he has been intermittently, uh, we got Kamala Harris to step up, at least make sure that she runs for election and Joe doesn't run for re-election. Well, when you read this political story, she comes off so inept, so autocratic, so in over her head, nobody's going to be clamoring for uh, Vice President Harris, which to me— 
if I could just think forward a little bit, to me shows that uh, the vice president's getting some, the president's getting some protection there. Hey, you want to blow me up? Good. Give up the White House then, because I'm your best chance of getting four more years. And nobody who's watched Joe Biden over the last two weeks regularly thinks he's doing well. I mean, this, you saw how he failed miserably on that speech when he came out and talked about crime, got lost in the prompter four or five times. He had about three or four sentences that made absolutely no sense yesterday in public. Now he's uh, down in Florida meeting with Governor DeSantis. But now let's listen in. Let's do a simulcast. Down from 84% just 10 years Dana ago. Perino. But the number of voters who say it's not the best, more than doubling, jumping from 12% to 26%. Brian Kilmeade is co-host of Fox and & Friends and... I'm really curious about your thoughts on this, Brian, because you you have this great series that you're doing on Fox Nation, and with all of your books, you talk to a lot of people. Um, it, it, does this track with how you see people feeling about America today? Yeah, and it doesn't really surprise me, because if you drill down on the numbers even further, Dana, so we were at 83 uh, percent in, you know, a few years ago in 2015, mm-hmm. and a little, bit, uh, a little bit higher than that the year before. But if you think about it, 54% of people under 45 answered the survey and said they have a positive feeling about America and think they're in the best place on earth. But think about it. All you're hearing is the negativity. All you're hearing about is how slavery and how unequal it was and how hard it was for women to vote. And it was impossible for them to vote until the turn of the last century. And then you see how unequal and systemic racism and you're watching the cities burn. And then someone walks up to you with a clipboard and says, do you think you're in the best place on the planet? And they go, no, not really. No kidding. Number one, I say travel. Compare it to another country. Number three, in, uh, just automatically, it's on human nature, in my opinion. It's hard to appreciate what you've always had. They didn't come here uh, as a first-generation refugee. They don't necessarily have somebody in their family raising them with an accent from another country that talked about what they were running from, like they did in, say, Cuba in the 1960s in Little Havana, one of the features that we had. So you look around and think, what's wrong? But you have somebody in the outside go, oh, everything's right about this. This North Korean uh, uh, escapee that was uh, imprisoned and uh, was held as a uh, slave in in, uh, Mongolia for a while that escaped and comes to Colombia from South Korea and goes, this is the best place on the planet. I think these people are ridiculous to compare it to anything else. It's hard to appreciate what you have unless you go out of your way to see how far we've come. Brian Kilmeade, we're going to check out that special of yours, and thank you. You're very special. Thanks for being on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. I wish Trace felt the same way. <laughs> I do. I yeah. concur with that. It was great being on your show, thank by the you, way, Brian. the other day, Brian. It was good um, Check this out. Fox Nation. All right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's what made America great. It's on Fox Nation. Another reason to get the app and feel great about our country. Keep it here, everyone. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard, uh, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we're going to go inside that political story with one of the authors of the story about what really goes on in the vice president's office, and it is not good. Michael Ruzioni, captain of the gold medal winning uh, Miracle on Ice team, as you know, USA Hockey. He wants to weigh in, and I want him to weigh in on Gwen Berry's decision to say, yeah, I'm going to represent the U.S., but I'm not happy about the national anthem, especially the third stanza. 
and I'm going to push back on the red, white, and blue. Meanwhile, there's a picture out today of her holding the American flag behind her, big smile on her face. Does her actions have anything to do with one of her big sponsors? Is it to fund the police organization? I would say pretty much. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The things that unite us, America's past of which we're so proud, our hopes and aspirations for the future of the world and this much-loved country, these things far outweigh what little divides us. Different time, 1986, Ronald Reagan, 4th of July. Now the 4th of July weekend, fewer Americans believe America is the best place to live. Who are the biggest non-believers? Those under 45. What can change that? We'll discuss it. Number two. Former President Trump's company and its longtime chief financial officer are formally accused of tax-related crimes. Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg just turned himself in and is due to be arraigned today in criminal court. Yep, the Trump Organization, the former uh, CFO, uh, the former president's CFO is targeted. Uh, We have indictments, uh, the pressure put on his staff. And if this is all they have, I think the president's in pretty good shape. We'll have to see. Number one. According to a new report in Politico, quoting members of Kamala's own team, quote, ideas are ignored or met with harsh dismissals and decisions are dragged out. People are thrown under the bus. There are short fuses and it's an abusive environment. It's not a place where people feel supported. It's a place where people feel treated like bleep. And Jesse, Jesse was reading right from the political story. So far, it looks like the vice president is clueless. Like when she was running for president, Harris and her staff are imploding, it seems. How much more evidence do we need to see that she might indeed be over her head and certainly not effective at running an organization, either her campaign and now it seems her office? Joining us now, a man that put it all together. They said nearly two dozen sources, none of which are named. Christopher Catalego, a political uh, reporter, one of three to put this story together. Chris, appreciate you joining us. Of course. Good to talk to you again, Brian. Chris, how did you get uh, how did you get uh, what made you think there was a story here? So we've been hearing for a little while from folks who work directly within the VP's office. We've also heard from people who work in the broader administration, um, and they've just been kind of asking us if we heard about what's going on in there. We started to hear from people who have regular, even daily interactions with the vice president's office. Um, some of it, as you uh, guys read, has to do with the treatment of their own staff. Others of it has to do with folks who have interest in legislation issues, outside groups, as well as folks who have a political interest in Kamala Harris, having uh, just getting the sense from the outside that they had a really hard time communicating with that office. They had a, um, an inkling that something was going on there where um, they just didn't see it as a very organized place. Um, so when you put all these things together and you start to talk to people over there, combined with the fact that after this uh, recent trip that she took um, having to do with uh, immigration and the, and the border, um, we had departures from her office, folks leaving, which is uh, rare so early in an administration. Um, we started to see some patterns here. Um, I'd also spent a lot of time reporting on Kamala Harris, both back in California and during her campaign in the primary Um, where she um, at the time also had some staff issues. Um, And so some of these things, um, there was a history there. And so we really dug in and basically just did the the shoe leather and talked to people. 
So you said uh, one of the quotes is people are thrown under the bus from the very top. There is a short fuses and it's an abusive environment. It's not a healthy environment and people often feel mistreated. It's not a place where people feel supported, but a place where people feel like feel like they're treated like uh, blank. Uh, and then they look to the handling of the border visit where they felt as though half the staff or most of the staff didn't even know what was happening ahead of time. So what consistencies run through this in the campaign? It does sound very similar to our exit interview where the story I read in the New York Times when she, her campaign was done. Strong start, no organization. So the, the candidate seemed unprepared for almost every major issue, and she didn't even get to the first caucus. What's the consistency here? What are the constants outside the candidate who's now vice president? Um, there aren't constants necessarily in terms of personnel. As we point in the story, um, I mean, there is essentially one um, more senior level staffer who had been with Kamala Harris, both in her Senate office and on the campaign. The rest of the whole crew is new, um, including this, the chief of staff who we write about. So these are not uh, people who had uh, spent a lot of time with her. These are not people from the campaign or necessarily even um, the Senate office at any kind of high level. Um, you know, there are some uh, folks who we uh, talk to in the story who do put some of the blame on her. Um, she, you know, she keeps a very kind of smaller, closer knit group around her. Um, but when it comes to a lot of the staff and a lot of the staff issues, these are not, I mean, we should be clear, these are not people who have uh, a ton of interactions with her. So it's more of an organizational question and the way in which she's running it. The problem she had during her campaign and sort of the, the performative stuff and, and, and whether she's up on the issues, I would probably separate that from the organizational uh, aspect of it and what we looked at in this story. Understood. Uh, so yeah. you, you cite in your story um, – what the New York Times wrote, you said it was reported the final days of the Harris abortive 2020 campaign, which was launched amid great fanfare, which is true. Even President Trump said, what a great opening speech and a good crowd. It only flamed out a month or two before the caucus. And one of the quotes that you bring up from a Democratic operative is this. This is my third presidential campaign, and I have never seen an organization treat its staff so poorly. What do you guys write about? A staff that is treated so poorly, two of which have left after her meeting and her biggest job that she got that she quickly pushed away from was the border, and she quickly defined it when the president says, I asked my vice president to handle this. She's like, no, no, I want to go at its root causes. Here's some of her comments she's made about the border in the past. You got that, Eric? Okay. We're Do you have gonna... plans to visit the border? Uh, um, not today. <laughs> <laughs> We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't know. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. I mean, right there, she seems surprised from Lester Holt's question. I always look at staff for that. I wouldn't, you or I would be prepared to answer that, but maybe a candidate has more on the plate than we know. But she looks surprised by all these questions. And she's not exactly getting hounded like Trump was, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no excuse for that answer. Essentially, 
uh, it almost doesn't matter whether it was uh, a lack of staff preparation on when are you going to go to the border, which is basically one of the top targets that 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 the media is writing about her kind of writ large, and whether it's her in the moment sort of stumbling or giving the wrong answer. Um, it the end result is the end result. So you know we don't know. Is it staff's fault? Is it her fault? But but I think you're right. I mean this. Uh, giving sort of these um, what can be seen as like flippant answers is also somewhat of a pattern that she's had. Um, and so I think that, you know, these are some things she needs to clean up. Um, and like you say, I mean, uh, there's new staff around. Um, there's not the same people who are around during her campaign um, briefing her on these things. And um, so, you know, these are the kinds of things she needs to clean up. I mean, you know, you saw so many leaks with the Trump administration. We don't get many of that. That's what really stands out about this story. You got 22 sources of this story. Yeah, they're all unnamed and they've called cowards by their staff, uh, uh, by uh, by one of their staffers. Say, you know, you put your name on it. We have ways for them, if they have a complaint, for them to have be heard. But I'm brought back to what the president said when he first got the job. He said, if I see people treating a subordinate, uh, in a bad way, they'll be fired on the spot. I mean, this seems like they're all being treated bad. I mean, that's what they would say. To go to your point about the anonymous sources, I mean, the reality of this is, uh, you know, there are a lot of a lot of Democrats out there who, uh, you know, a lot of people who didn't necessarily like the president, not journalists, but but just folks out in the country who had problems with uh, um, anonymous sources or or you know, celebrated the quotes in the in the anonymous sources when they were about uh, the Trump administration. I think that what 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 listeners and people need to understand about some why someone might need to be anonymous in that situation is it just doesn't make any sense. It's uh, it, that someone who works in that office, unless they're ready to sort of light the match and and burn the bridge on their way out the door. You can't imagine a scenario where someone who works over there is going to put their name on the record about what it's like to work in 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 that office. I mean, especially when you're talking about mid-level to lower level to, to anyone in the staff. Um, and so I think that's just the thing that people need to remember about uh, these anonymous sources and stories. And we vet all of this, um, you know, like you say, whether it was the past White House or whether it was this White House or this VP's office. And I think. Um, you, you know, a lot of these people who are there, um, they, like everybody in their normal life, have conversations with people they know. They share what it's like in their workplace. They share interactions they've had. And the other thing, too, is, you know, sometimes these stories are just sort of scratching the surface. People are giving, um, you know, what they're allowing to be printed in the story is just a general sense of what it's like. Or they're giving a couple anecdotes. Well, around this trip, this happened. They're not going to share some you know, personal conversation they had with someone that's going to completely out who they are. So just important context, I think, to think about around these um, anonymous sources. Chris Catalego with us with one of the political reporters who have this explosive story on Kamala Harris and her staff and how unhappy uh, so many are. So I'm going to just, can I just game plan this out? So a lot of people have said Joe Biden is 78 years old, clearly not on the top of his game, even comparing him from where he was in 08 and 2012 when he ran to be vice president again, and when he ran for president multiple times, a lot of people say, well, there's going to be pressure on him to step aside and let Kamala Harris take the ball. Could this, some have speculated that maybe the White House is throwing a brushback pitch to the, to the vice president. Like, you know, you're not doing great. 
uh, and know where you are. And maybe they help fuel this story to bring her down a few pegs. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely wouldn't comment on any, you know, the, the individual people behind this. Obviously, we talk about people within her own office. I think that, you know, just looking at the reality of it is the people we still, you know, the people we talk to who assess uh, President Biden still very much uh, and who are in his camp still very much believe that he's going to run for reelection. Um, the, ch- the, the, the big question for him will be if he doesn't and how much he throws his support, the folks around him throw their support around Kamala Harris. I don't think people expect that this is uh, her run, if that is to happen, and if he doesn't run, is going to be a you know field-clearing exercise for the Democratic Party. I think there's there's too much ambition there. There's there's too much um, there, there are too many up-and-comers in the party for that to happen. But I think um, it would certainly make her life easier if he does choose not to run. Um, if he were to you know throw his full support behind her, and a lot of that is just going to have to do with what happens over the next couple years, you know, how close are they, how how well uh, the working relationship um, with her does he have, how much does he believe in her as a as a candidate and a politician, and some of that, like I said, we don't know, um, and I think the people um, around him have been around him for a very long time, that's a contrast with Kamala Harris, his, his upper-level staff have some of them been with him for decades, and I think um, you know how her, how Kamala Harris, and how her staff work with them, how they interact with them, how much, uh, how much they come to rely on her and trust her is going to go a long way to determine um, how much uh, Biden and his you know quote unquote political apparatus get behind their VP. Did they push back on the story? Were they alarmed that this was coming out? Would you characterize it that way? Yeah, I think. I mean, we quote um, Anita Dunn, who's a is, you know high-ranking senior advisor, was on the Biden campaign, was in the Obama administration, who um, defended the uh, the the VP's office and the chief of staff she has there around this issue with the with the trip and and not cluing people. And she basically says in our story that uh, the people who knew um, that this was kind of a need-to-know basis, and the people who knew, including um, you know, across the administration were the people that they needed uh, to know, and that sometimes people get cut out of these conversations, um, even if they feel like they should know them. And that's, uh, you know, sort of how things work is basically what she says. Now, we did ask her uh, whether she was aware of the complaints coming out of the vice president's office, whether whether the, uh, the, the senior folks at the White House were aware. And um, the quote is essentially that uh, acknowledges that they were aware, but not to the degree that we described them. So the, there were, in other words, there were complaints. Um, they were aware of them, but uh, not as bad as we laid out. Let's see if they change. Let's see if they, this is one of those things uh, where they look at this instead of trying to fight the reporters, uh, try to fix the problem. Um, we'll see how they handle it. Uh, you know, not everybody gets off to a great start, but let's see if the story is bad start, good finish. Uh, but so far, you, you, you've painted a really disconcerting picture. People thought that she was going to be the steadying younger force uh, of an aging president. Uh, Christopher Catalego, political reporter, did a great job with this explosive story today. Another reason to go to Politico. Thanks, Chris. Hey, thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your phone calls, one 408 7669 Everybody's laughing. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When you have such a low level of vaccination superimposed upon a variant that has a high degree of efficiency of spread, what you are going to see among under-vaccinated regions, be they states, cities, or counties, you're going to see these individual types of blips. It's almost like it's going to be two Americas. Yeah, two Americas. He's, he never factors in, Anthony Fauci, something that even me as a pedestrian, no medical background, who didn't exactly excel in science, natural immunity. And you got this variant here, but again, you're trying to scare people. The variant's coming, the variant's coming, the numbers are coming up, but they're so small, the numbers, and we've already been through it before. And the thing to keep in mind, you go ahead and educate. That's your goal. You go ahead and tell people the pluses and minuses. You encourage people to talk to others. But we've all made our own decisions right now. Everybody listening to me, and I've not had anybody write me. You tell me if I'm wrong. You could get a vaccine. Anybody listening can get a vaccine from the cab driver to the billionaire. It's not who you know. It's do you want to go to CVS? Do you want to go to Walgreens? Do you want to go to work, perhaps? Do you want to go to a Yankee game, a Red Sox game? Wherever you go. I, I, I'm watching baseball last night. There's go to get your vaccine signs. The minute that went up, it's our own decision. Some people are out there, they're smoking. Do you read the side of the back? That's not my decision. You ask me, I'll tell you what I think. Some people are drinking too much. Some people drink a little, some people drink a lot. I'm not getting into your life. Now we're at the point where you're getting into our lives. Don't start scaring us or locking us down again. We're not doing it. And stop interviewing Anthony Fauci. He's disgraced. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Yolentinov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. And there they go. They win the gold and life changed forever. Every time people want to talk about magical moments, there was a movie done on it. They talk about that miracle on ice that happened uh, in 1980 when the Russians were still in Afghanistan. Believe it or not, it was on tape delay. So much details of that is fascinating and found in Michael Ruzioni's book. He's captain of the gold medal team in 1980. uh, And he is currently director of special outreach for Boston University. Uh, Mike, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good. How you doing? Michael, is that one of these things where if I have a member of Leonard Skinner and I play Freebird, they go, oh, my goodness, really? <laughs> do When I play that, do you mind? <laughs> Not at all. Um, it just reminds me of a special time and a special moment uh, for me and my teammates. And, you know, even 41 years later, uh, it still resonates. Um, <clears throat> I came into my office here this morning at Boston University and I uh, hadn't been here in 10 days, and I had about 25 letters uh, of people sending pictures to be autographed, and the average age of most of them was probably 12. Wow. Uh, 
So they, you know, it, you know, the movie, my book. I mean, it, it's it's something that uh, it's not on the tip of people's tongues, but when they talk about sporting events and sporting moments, uh, clearly uh, our moment comes to the, comes to the comes to the top. So bring, it's, yeah, it's, bring it's, it, it's all good. Bring us back to 1980, where the hostage crisis. America was not feeling great about itself. You had uh, we had we're in a malaise coming out of the Carter years. His words, his attitude. You know, we're in a tough time. He put on a sweater, went to the one in front of, in the White House, and he told everyone, you know, America. I get the sense that we're not doing that great. It might not even get any better. You know, the Soviet Union was on the march. We didn't know what was happening. We still had Vietnam was just five years prior. So you would say that America needed this left. Um, yeah, yeah. Would you say that, or were you even thinking that you were just a hockey player? Well, two things. I think we weren't thinking it because we had a, a hockey tournament to play in, but we were very well aware of it. Um, you know, at that time, the country was looking for something to feel good about. I hate to say it; it's probably similar to what we're dealing with now, but maybe worse now than it was then. Um, you know, we needed something, and, and all of a sudden, we come along and I think brought back a sense of pride in what makes this country such a great country, and you know how. You know, working class kids went out there and did something nobody in the world thought we could do. And people related to it. People felt a part of it. Uh, people were waving the flag. People, you know, the, America was back, so to, in some ways. And it, I just think it brought joy to to people who were just downward pissed off and frustrated and needed something to, to feel good about. And, and it was us. And we didn't know. We, we were just playing. But after we realized it, and I think, like I said, 41 years later, um, I think we realize it again. You know, I've had people come up to me, Brian, and, and start crying uh, because that moment meant something to them. Uh, a kid just sent me a letter today that said he wanted me to sign this picture for his dad because his dad was talking about the 80 Olympics and telling him the story of our team, and he had a tear in his eye. Uh, so th- the moment meant something for a lot of people. Not just a, it, it wasn't just a yeah. hockey game. And, uh, you know, like, like I said, I think something we need now. But, you know, Mike, uh, do you, don't you know there was Jim Crow in this country and there was slavery in this country and that there was uh, segregation in this country? Uh, all those things were part of our past, and still we were much more united than we are today. And it started when Colin Kaepernick, who I thought was upset that he was benched, who takes a seat and then a knee. And now it becomes everyone taking a knee on the international stage. And now for the Olympics, I want you to hear Gwen Berry, which brought up we got to call Michael Ruzioni when she decided to make this statement, actually put a uh, T-shirt over her head and turn her back to the flag. She explained herself the next day. She's a hammer thrower track and field. I never said that I didn't want to go to the Olympic Games. That's why I competed and got third and made the team. I never said that I hated the country. Never said that. All I said was I respect my people enough to not stand or acknowledge something that disrespects them. I love my people, point blank, period. If you know your history, you know the full song of the national anthem. The third paragraph speaks to slaves in America, our blood being slain and and piltered all over the floor. It's disrespectful and it does not speak for black Americans. It's obvious, There's there's no question. So the last time we spoke to you on TV, Mike, we didn't have her further explanation. What do you think about that explanation? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Uh, again, you know, people have a right to, to their voice and their and, and their opinion. Um, uh, I, I, you look back in the history of the Olympic Games uh, and and, uh, and, our, and our you know uh, black athletes. Look at Jesse Owens in probably one of the most intense moments. He he never wavered from standing in front of the flag. Um, 
uh, Carl Lewis. I mean, I, I can go on and on and name athletes that, that stood there very proudly. And, and I just don't get it. If, if you have an opinion, I think there are other places to make that statement. I think the podium, the Olympic Games, the Olympic Festival right. uh, is, not, is not the forum for that. Uh, go to our military bases. You know, go to our first responders. Go talk to them about what the flag means to them and what the anthem means to them. And I, again, I'm old school. I, I'm, you know, my dad was a marine. My nephew was a marine. My son's a fireman. My nep- my son-in-law's a, a police officer. My, uh, you know, we, military and, and 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 first responders are a big part of my family. And the flag and the anthem mean a great deal to me, more to me than maybe obviously some other people. But don't disrespect the flag and the anthem the way. Uh, that she did. The, the other two girls were standing there proudly with their hands over their heart and a flag in their hand. So, uh, again, she has an agenda, and, and uh, clearly this is the way for her to bring it across. I don't agree with it. And, and Mike, believe- you know, I'm watching, I'm watching the television show right now, and I saw this this morning. There's a big picture of her wearing a USA jersey, proudly holding up the flag behind her. And many people have uh, postulated that perhaps this has to do with her sponsor, which is an organization called Defund the, that wants to defund the police. And maybe this is part of that. Everybody has their agenda. Um, and and I, like I said, I, I disagree with, with that, the thought of that. The, the other girl that recently said that she wanted to burn the flag at, at the games as she got on the anthem, who, who thinks of doing things like that? So, again, I, I'm old school. Uh, I believe the anthem and the flag stand for something. Right. Um, and and we, should, we should honor and, and respect the, the people who – made this country what it is, the freedom that we have today, is because of, of, of the warriors that, that fought these battles to give us the right to p- probably say what she wants to say, right. but don't just, just don't, don't you know, do it by, by you know, not acknowledging the anthem or the flag. I just, again, I, I don't agree Mike, with it, and, and I never will. And by the way, you guys basically took a vow of poverty to train to be an Olympian. Now the sponsors are in, and there's a way to there's a way to earn some money, and there's no more amateur status to worry about. You guys were truly amateurs. Now things are changing as of today. In about 15 states, there are rules on the books. You are now you are a college star, a hockey player, and now there are rules on the books where you can earn money off your likeness. You you did not go pro. You went right to broadcasting and went to the private industry giving speeches. So here's Lee Steinberg, maybe the most successful agent in sports. Talks about what's going to change now for college players. Cut 40. Any player at the collegiate level can hire a marketing agent, which would be the same as a regular sports agent, and go ahead and start to brand themselves on social media and get revenue from endorsements, from Internet projects, and market themselves the same way they would when they get to the pros. Is Is this the right move? You know, the problem with that is how does it affect the team atmosphere where some players who are bigger names are going to be making a lot of money and, you know, the so-called guys who want the big stars are going to be sitting back going, how come I don't get a little piece of this? But you do. So, I, again, it, it's something I think that's new and people are going to try to ex- experiment with it and see what's out there. Um, I don't like the idea because I think it only specializes certain players, certain teams, certain sports. Um, so, I mean, that's that's something that we're going to see how it plays out. Um, you know, the sport of ice hockey, I don't think you're going to see many college hockey players reap the rewards. Uh, I think you're probably looking at football and basketball as the only two sports that are really going to generate, um, you know, some, some income for these athletes. And like I said, what about the minor athletes? What about the, the, the women who play sports that don't have the, the attendance uh, at games that, 
that the you know the men's you know LSU football team or Alabama's football team, you know what about the gymnasts and 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 you know the volleyball players? Uh, I, I wonder how that's going to be spread out. Yeah, you're not. I mean, if Mike Ruzioni is asked to go and represent a Jeep dealership, freshman Mike Ruzioni, the who is an outstanding college player, obviously. You're going to go down there, and it's your money. They're not going to pay you. And then if someone wants you on a local commercial, and, for example, in Nebraska, we got two great affiliates in Nebraska. They right away have set up, and they're telling their recruits, guys, there's going to be a lot of opportunity here. We worship we worship our football and basketball team. That's going to be an immediate advantage, isn't it? Absolutely. Why, why, why wouldn't you want to go to Duke and play basketball versus another school that doesn't have the visibility? So I think the big, the big powerhouses, the big schools – uh, are going to be able to, you know, be have that as a huge recruiting tool. They come to Notre Dame, play football here, and guess what? You can make X amount of dollars versus if you went to a smaller school, uh, a Division One school, but maybe not as big or as well known. Yeah, and you know, from a college soccer player, Division Two college soccer players, it's not a, Reebok wasn't judging, you know, trying to recruit me in the locker room uh, for an endorsement deal. I get it, but for these football players. You know, they, they generate all this money for the school and they get the huge TV contracts. And when they get out, they, most of them don't go pro. So the argument is, shouldn't they be able to, if they're selling their jersey in the bookstore, shouldn't they get a piece of that? If the, if the, if the Jeep dealership wants the offensive lineman at 19 years old to go downstairs and sign autographs on a Monday when you don't have practice, should they make some money? How do you feel about that? Well, I, I, I think if I was the athlete, I would think it's great. Um, you know, an opportunity to make some money that you're not going to, you know, therefore get, uh, you know, elsewhere. Yeah. So again, I, I think the onus is going to be on the universities, the colleges, the athletic directors to, to figure out the way to, um, to, to, to run the program the right way. And I, I don't know if it's by giving the guys money, or the, the, yeah. the ladies money, but it, it clearly to me is going to be certain athletes, certain sports, certain schools. So here's the other thing to keep in mind, and you know this. I like watching college sports because of the university and the tradition. The minute I look at a bunch of players just wearing the uniform and don't even pretend to be students, it becomes AAA. I don't watch AAA baseball or hockey. I don't like minor league sports. I'm a major league guy, and I want to be at the. I want to watch the best college players. Let's say, and now all of a sudden, if they're just representing that college and it loses the luster and the history, and I can't. I think they're in danger of losing what sells. Well, I, I think you're yeah, welcome to 2021. Uh, it's a it's a different world that we're living in. Uh, it's being driven by money. Um, decisions are being made by 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 money. Um, it, it's it's a different world. It, it's just a different world that we're living in. Gambling too. And finally, Mike, do you ever regret not going pro after the Olympics? You would have been oh, how old? Yeah. I'd have been 25, so I was old at the time. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, nobody said, here's 20 million. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of money in hockey. Uh, to me, it was peace of mind. Uh, you know, I, there's no doubt I could have played, and I wouldn't have been a great player. I'd have been an average player. I probably would have played four or five years at best. Uh, but at 25 years old, I decided it was time to move on and do something else, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to coach and teach. I was a phys ed major at Boston University, and that's what my plan was. And then, then found out that this Olympic game was a big deal, and my life kind of took a diff- it took a different turn. But uh, I'm back at Boston University. I've been here 20 something years. I continue to do some speaking around the country, and uh, have you know I have six grandkids right now. So life's moved on, and 
you know, I, I, I love to be in the, the college scene, the college atmosphere, the athletes, the student athletes that we have here. It's great to be a part of a program like Boston University. So, um, you know, I do understand times have changed. Things are different. But like we started with this conversation, I still proudly stand for, for, the, for the flag, the anthem, and, uh, and what that anthem and what that flag means to me and what it meant to my family. I just hope there's nothing that happens at the games to embarrass this country. We do not need to be embarrassed in front of the rest of the world in Tokyo. Final well, f- I, I hope you're right, but I have a feeling something will go on. Hope you're, I, I hope you're wrong. Um, and we're going to end, Mike, with something that if you were not tired of the first one, then you're not going to be tired of this one. Uh, cut 39. Bedlam in here, stopping. Five seconds to the gold medal. Four to the gold medal. This impossible dream comes true. Mike Ruzioni, thanks so much. <laughs> Brian, thank you. Always nice to hear that. All right, man. Thanks for earning it and doing it. Appreciate (laughs) it. Mike Aruziani, great job. Uh, Back to wrap up this hour. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I think it's time to find out, perhaps, if we need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, President Biden's done something totally unnecessary, and the State Department's overseeing it. You now can be male, female, or non-binary on your passport applications. Please tell me how this benefits. Wednesday's announcement adds the United States to a growing number of countries, uh, including Canada, Germany, Australia, and India. Good luck with that. Meanwhile, workers are offered all types of signing bonus to actually work for a living, especially on fast food franchises. You want to go to McDonald's? They'll offer you $500 to sign on. Orlando, this Cuba Cuba Libre restaurant chain, $1,000 bonuses. Option to be paid in Bitcoin. Wendy's, $100. Chipotle, $15 an hour. All because the government's paying people so much, in many cases, not to work, then to work. You're competing against Joe Biden's free lunch. That's the problem. Next, Senator Maxine Waters. No, I don't know if we have the actual soundbite, but here's the story. Joe Biden shook uh, a woman's hand, uh, a congresswoman's hand, then shook Maxine Waters' hand. He said, Senator, I hope you think I'm kidding. I'm not. Maxine Waters' 82-year-old shrugged and gave what appeared to be a who-knows expression. What is he talking about? Does he think she's going to run for senator at 82 years old? When she's barely a, 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 a passable congresswoman. Next. Uh, President Trump says he's made a decision on whether to run in 2024. My sense is, he told Sean, I've made a decision. We'll tell you after 2022. My sense is he will run. On the decision and the indictment today on the CFO, evidently Politico was told by a Trump confidant. He's very happy that that's what they have. Next. It's so far from who we really are. Fixer-upper star Joanna Gaines holds back tears, addressing past claims of racism and homophobia as she is about to announce uh, more diversity with her husband Chip, the rock stars, and the new TV network, the Magnolia TV network. I'm not sure what she's accused of, but I guess they say that she might have said things that are anti-something that could have got herself in trouble. She's 43, married to Chip, who's 46. They quit their show Fixer Upper in 2017, despite the fact it was drawing a huge audience, uh, emotional about all accusations. The cancel culture won't cancel them. They're just too powerful. 
And next, um, former Defense Secretary Donna Rumsfeld passed away at the age of 88, passed away of cancer. George W. Bush paid tribute, called him an exemplary public servant who ran into Pentagon fires in 9-11 and was the architect of the War on Terror. His family said he passed away in New Mexico. He says he was tripartite to resign after the Abu Ghraib scandal, but President Bush would not hear of it. He helped design the 2003 invasion that led to the toppling of Saddam Hussein. But not preparing for the next day is when the critics really dug in. He'll be relieved before he started the second term with George W. Bush. But his press conferences were examples of leadership. Those are my words. He took total control, was in control, extremely confident, even if you disagreed with him. I always love talking to him. He actually answered your questions. He was an outstanding wrestler as well and did a lot for USA Wrestling. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Go to uh, Fox Nation and check out my series, What Made America Great. Four brand new episodes you won't regret, especially in this 4th of July weekend. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.